John chapter 2, verse 1 says, On the third day, a wedding in Galilee took place in Cana. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had been invited to the wedding as well. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to them, They have no more wine. Jesus replied, Dear woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Verse 6, Nearby, six stone water jars stood, the kind used for Jews for the ceremonial washing, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, Now draw some out and take that to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine, and he did not realize where it had come from. But the servants knew. So he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and the cheaper wine after they've had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So the book of John says that this was the first miracle that Jesus performed. And, and now, maybe I don't know where you're at with the whole miracles idea, because maybe, uh, maybe you hear the word miracles and you think, you know, this is the part of the Bible that kind of becomes make-believe. I don't think Jesus really turned water into wine. I don't think he really walked on water. I don't think he really gives sight to the blind. Um, see, you know, I went to school and... It, you know, our, our intellectual minds, they have a hard time with this. Um, I, had a, I took a religious studies class in college, and the, the professor pretty much belittled and made fun of me because I believed in Jesus. And uh, they, they spent time after time after time talking about how miracles were impossible, especially the ones that defy nature, like this one. And yet, most of us are pretty quick to believe that, that Jesus healed the sick, that he taught people, and even that he raised someone from the dead. So those things kind of go against the natural too. So I've always thought about miracles as, you know, I believe miracles happen. Uh, I, don't, I don't see them very often, but, but I'm sure they do happen. And, you know, I just don't go out and look for miracles. So what about you? Where are you at in the miracles idea? Do you, do you go out and look for them? Do you think if you just have enough faith, they'll happen every day? Do you think, you know, they're really just a figment of our imagination? We can explain them away. Because um, what I'd like to do for the next few weeks is challenge us. Like, there's this TV show where people kind of go crazy. These are, these are a little bit nutso people. They take their video cameras and their, their uh, photography or their photo cameras, and they get in vans or cars, and they find a storm, and they, like, chase after it, Right? And they, they get insanely close where you think they're going to die, and they capture it, and they make this so-called storm chasers, right? Well, I want to encourage us to be miracle chasers for the next few weeks, that we would dive into these stories, and we would kind of chase after them and say, what do they mean then, and what might they mean for us today? Because I believe this stuff really does happen. I've had miracles that have, that have basically found me and people really close to me, and I cannot explain it sometimes. And, and that's what's going on in a lot of these stories. And I think for a lot of us who doubt, the reason why it's so hard is because we've already decided that a miracle is just not possible. And so where in your life, before we really get into this story, 
where in your life have you already decided, you know, it's just not possible? You've already got kind of this thinking down. Like, it's just not possible for me to get healthy. Or, it's just not possible for my parents to get along. Or, it's just not possible for me to finish school. Or, it's just not possible that someone could ever truly accept me. Or, it's just not possible that our marriage is going to get any better. Or, it's just not possible that our kids are going to obey us or God. And it's just not possible that, that it's for me or us that we're going to get our finances right. Or, it's just not possible for me to find a better job. Where is the, it's just not possible happening for you? Where you've kind of already made that intellectual decision. It can't happen. Because in these stories... We have to be really honest about where our minds are already limiting us. Now, where do you need to be honest about where you've put that it's just not possible? So get it in your mind, if you would, if you have one. The Holy Spirit's brought something to you. And let's just pray for that right now. Heavenly Father, I... Um, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this space that's air-conditioned in this insane heat. Um, for each person here, God, you've drawn them here. God, I pray, just as this story is about expectation, I pray that we would expect you to speak to us, that we'd expect you to open our hearts to us. And I pray for those things that we've already said, it's just not possible. And God, just one more time, I pray that you'd have us pull it out of our closet, pull it out of our thought process, pull it out of wherever it's stuck and lay it back down in front of you and say, okay, God, I'll give you another shot with this because maybe it is possible. Your word says, with God, all things are possible. So God, we, we put that out there for you as we go through this um, passage that you've put in scripture. Um, speak to us, God. Holy Spirit, open our minds to what you meant then and what you'll mean today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like I said, I got back from a wedding yesterday, and, and wedding, well, actually, this morning, um, it was a long drive from Fargo, Fargo, great place, but weddings, they're a pretty big deal. We had to go up Friday night for the rehearsal, and then we had to wait almost a half hour because the uh, bride's parents didn't show up for the rehearsal, and, and I found out there's a lot of expectations that go into weddings. Like, you kind of expect the bride's parents to show up for the rehearsal. Um, you know, so that we had to wait. And, uh, and then we had the groom's dinner, and then there were some speeches, and then there was meeting the bridal party, and then, you know, we kind of all got to go to bed. And then the next day, five hours before the wedding, there was a lot of pictures that, fortunately, I didn't have to go early to. But then there was the practice again, and then there was the processional, and then there's the vows and then there's the prayers and then there's the pronouncement and you're like yay and then of course there's bubbles because we don't want to do birdseed or you know whatever we rice anymore so so then there's the bubbles and then it's still not over because then there's dinner and then there's toast and then there's dancing and then there's hugs and then there's more dancing I mean and in all this stuff there's a lot of expectations I mean think about the things that we just kind of take for granted about weddings for example like we expect that the, the, the men that are coming, that they're going to look nice, okay? We expect them to kind of be in tuxes or suits. We expect the women to kind of all wear fancy matching dresses, 
you know, because it would look really odd if there was a blue one and an orange one and a pink one. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been to a rainbow wedding like that, but most of them have the same colors and stuff. We expect that. We expect flowers to be up front. We expect a photographer to be there. We expect food, and we expect it kind of to be free, don't we? I don't know if you've ever seen a donation box at a wedding. Like, yep, yeah, take your food, go through the buffet line, just drop 20 in. I mean, we kind of expect that. We, some of us expect an open bar. Um, and, and most of us really expect the bride and the groom to show up. I mean, I was, as I was telling this couple, um, and I've known the, 11, the, the young man who's now a grown man um, since he was 11, although he was this tall at 11, so now he's this tall, and I'm like, I'm so proud of you. And, and uh, you know, I said, all that matters is that you say I do and you say I do. Everything else is kind of just fluff after that. And uh, they're like, thanks, I think we needed that. Um, <laughs> You know, but we expect a lot of stuff. Now, weddings in Jesus' day were, were even a bigger deal than, than for us because remember, these people, most of them are poor and, and most of them don't have cars. Actually, all of them don't have cars. So they have, <laughs> just checking. Um, so they have to drive by, you know, camel, mule, on foot, maybe they have a little cart that they pull, but it takes days and days and days for them to travel. And now preparation for a wedding in, in, in Jewish times um, started a year before the, the engagement, the contract um, started, and the, the man would start building a home, usually adding on to the, the wife's um, family's house, and would start that process. And then after they got to the culmination, it was a week-long celebration, and in, in that, there were expectations. Um, there were, they expected the people, the host home, to provide. So if we were, we were all the family, and there was a, a bride and a groom, the host family, the bride, the groom, maybe their parents, his parents, they were expected to provide housing, because there's no Howard Johnsons, there's no embassy suites, they are expected to provide housing. They were expected to provide all the food for all the meals for all the week. And they were expected to provide all the drink, which is usually water and wine. And so for the week, they had to provide for these guests. And remember, that's a huge expense. But, but in a time where most people are poor, this was a time to celebrate. So, so while it was a huge expense, it was a time of really great joy too. And, and yet this this idea of hospitality and generosity is such a huge thing for the people of Judaism that when it says in verse 3 that they ran out of wine, that this is a huge, huge deal. This isn't just about embarrassment. I mean, you could bring shame on your family. So, so I want you to kind of get the scene here. It's very, very early in Jesus' ministry. Um, rabbis couldn't really go public until they're 30, so he's probably 30. Um, in John chapter 1, we find out that about five or six people have decided to follow Jesus and be his disciples. So he's got this little group. Um, he calls his, um, so his mother's there. Uh, some of the uh, uh, gospels that didn't make it into, stories about Jesus that didn't make it into the Bible think that, that Mary, Jesus' mother, is related to the br- bridegroom's family or the bride's family, and so maybe there's a pull here. Not really super important to the story, but I want you to picture the scene that, that on the third day a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee, and Jesus' mother notices that they ran out of wine. 
And so Jesus says, dear woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. And Jesus' mom looks at Jesus, turns to the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. That's kind of all we get. And so it's really easy for us to just think this is, this is to avoid shame, this is to avoid embarrassment, and that's what this story is about. But I think it's about so much more. In fact, when they say they ran out of wine, again, expectation that all these things would be provided for. And so Jesus' mom wasn't just making a statement about wine. She expected Jesus to do something about it. Now, think about in your life where you've had those moments where you just expect if there is a God and he exists and he came in the person of Jesus and and the Holy Spirit's with us, he should do something. And it's not this righteous thing. It's just from the bottom of our gut, we believe that God should show up and respond in this situation, and he didn't. And now we're sitting and we're going, okay, is he really there? Does he really answer prayer? And I don't know how long, you know, we're, we're not given like, it's, it's not um, the acts of a play, the Bible. So we don't know that it says, you know, Mary, the mother of Jesus, makes this dramatic statement saying, they have no more wine. And Jesus dramatically pauses and waits 10 minutes to respond. We don't, we don't get that. We don't know how long it was. We just have what the Bible shared. And so he says, why do you involve me? Which isn't really what he said, but we'll get there. Because, because he doesn't seem to be answering And we have this expectation, and I think we can learn something about Jesus here. I mean, first, we can learn that Jesus cares about everyday stuff. Um, Sometimes we we talk about religious hermits or people who are kind of eccentric, and they seem to have, they're in touch with God or spirit, and they're they're really far away, and we talk about gurus that sit up on mountains and meditate, and we can go to them. Jesus isn't like that. He is involved in everyday stuff. Weddings mattered to people, and so they mattered to Jesus. And so sometimes I think we pray, and we think, oh, that's a little thing. I'm not going to bring that to Jesus, because it's just a little thing. He doesn't care about that. And I think this story shows us, no, he does care about the little stuff. He showed up at a wedding to, to partake, and to say this is a good thing. And Jesus cares about the little stuff. Second, Jesus isn't, like, throwing his mom off. Um, the, the woman translation, which sounds really derogatory in English, is, is really more like, uh, dear woman, he's separating himself, like, you're not my mom anymore, I'm a rabbi, I'm a grown man, and it's the same word that he uses on the cross when he says, John, this is now your mother, woman, this is now your son. It's a very endearing term, so we can't let that skew us. And basically, the translation from the, the language is, what do we have in common about this issue? So what Jesus is doing, I think, is he's weighing, like, what is the purposes of God in this situation? And where is, where is the human will? Like, where, where is my mom just wanting to fix the situation, basically? And isn't that a lot of what we pray? I mean, a lot of times we pray for something, and, and a lot of what we're praying for is just what we want. And I, I don't mean that in a mean way. I do the same thing. But we pray, and we, we kind of want something. And, and what Jesus is doing here, I think, is he's weighing, like, what does God want? 
and what's just kind of human desire. And so there's a pause. I don't, again, I don't know how long it is, but she doesn't, she doesn't keep going in the situation. She, we can learn something from her response. She says, do whatever he tells you. For her, she made a request, and, and now she just has to wait, and she has to trust that Jesus has um, his own will, his own way, in his own time. That was kind of good. Jesus has his own will in his own way, in his own time. What if our prayer life was like that? What if we unashamedly went to Jesus and we made our request? Here it is. And it may seem like not a big deal. Someone else, I might be embarrassed about it. I might have a little shame about it. But no, it's no big deal. I'm going to make my request. And then I got to wait for Jesus to answer in his own will, in his own way, in his own time. And I know from this story, and I think we can translate it to our own lives, he's got to weigh what's God's purposes and what's just human desire. Now, now I humbly offer that, that our life here is like his actions where, where he's not just wanting to satisfy some physical need for us. But when Jesus is weighing those things, he's saying, okay, what's the physical human need? You know, like, I need this fixed in my life. Maybe that's your prayer. And he's saying over here, what do I need to fulfill that but really point to a deeper spiritual need, a deeper spiritual reality? Because Jesus is hitting something huge here, huge, and we'll get to it in a second. So I'm sitting at this wedding, and this mom comes up to me with tears in her eyes, and, you know, I just kind of, I, I struggle with caring about what people think of me sometimes, and, you know, I'm trying to kill it, but sometimes I care about what people think of me, so if you, you know, leave, don't be like, oh, great sermon, just because, you know, because um, I, don't, I don't need that, but, um, but if God worked in it, great. Um, so I... In telling you that, disclosing that to you, that appropriate disclosure, um, I was like, oh, this is, you know, got to go up on Friday night, got to be there, got to drive home, got to get home at one in the morning, and then I, I get to come and I be with you guys, and oh, that's kind of a lot, and do I, do I really know this, this young man well enough, and you know, I can't say yes to everything, and something inside of me just said, I got to go. And this mom came up, and just, and this mom never shows emotion, she's from the Bronx, like, emotion is kind of when she afflicted harm to her kids in a violent way. So, but tears started streaming down her eyes, and she said, I'm so glad you came. And this isn't about me, but she said, if it wasn't for you and God, my son wouldn't have even made it to this day. And I totally forgot that he tried to commit suicide a couple times. I mean, life for him was like this verse. They have no more wine. For him, it was like, I have nothing to live for. No one cares about me. I never hear my dad's proud of me. I never hear love. My mom has this weird, violent way of showing me affection. Um, no one likes me at school. I always get picked on. And, and for him, he's like, throws it out there. Like, they have noth- I have nothing, God. And he's sitting in this waiting period because he made his request and Jesus didn't answer. And I forgot that at 13 and 14 and 15 and 16 that I sat with this kid 
And I didn't always have any answers. And now I read this passage and I go, I got some answers. I got some hope. Sitting with a couple at the reception. Um, husband lost his job. It's awful. I mean, and they had a strong, strong marriage. And she starts telling me, you know, I don't know. Thinking about leaving my husband. What? Well, I'm just weighing the options. Really? And she said, yeah, it's hard. It's really hard. I can't, I can't depend on him. I can't, like, I can't trust him. Uh, and she's like, and then I was reading this book. And I read this one thing, and a light flicked off, and I said this one thing. I'm sorry I'm not giving you all the details, but um, she's like, I just changed this one little thing. And she said, it just, everything switched. And it brought us to the darkest hole, and we fixed those things. Like, we became aware of these things that were broken, like way back from before we got married that we never dealt with because we just covered them up and we just thought we never needed to deal with those if those things never come out. We can be these broken people that no one knows about. We can have this little tiny messed up thing in our life and, and no one, and as long as we can kind of cover it up, then, then we'll be okay. And they had a mostly good functional marriage. And then they were brought to this place where they had no more wine. They were brought to this place where their money ran out. They were brought to this place where they had to sell their house. They had to be brought to this place where they had to look at each other and go, the only thing I have to offer is me and God. And they had to look and wonder if that was enough. And as I'm sitting on the other side, because we'll get to the other side in a second, as now we're sitting at the other side, she goes, but Rob, never would wish that on anyone, but I would never trade it for anything. She said, we have learned things about ourselves and about God and about unconditional love than we have ever experienced. And if you're in that waiting place, Jesus cares. What do we have in common about this? What's God's will? What's just my human desire? He doesn't just want to fix your problem. He doesn't just want to fix my problem. He doesn't just want to answer the physical need. He wants to be able to point to the deeper spiritual truth. What is it? Well, here, it looks like it's this random act. Water into wine. And I think, why water into wine? Why not like walking on water? Why not like feeding everybody? you know, making amazing dessert or something. Why not like, oh, someone is sick or they're choking and Jesus can go and like the food pops out or he heals someone. Why not a more robust miracle? Why just water into wine? Um, it's, it just seems so weird. And you know, I read other miracles like when Jesus curses the fig tree. I don't know if you've ever read this one. He was walking along and there's this tree and it's not producing any fruit and he's like, I curse you. And, and I don't know if he did that, but... Um, and then the tree just dies. And I'm like, that's so random. Did Jesus just have this one moment where his anger snapped? Um, and, and there's, oh, I don't know. There's a couple other ones that are just weird, but we'll just, we'll just stop at that one. So these are called, in, you know, if you study, if you do a little study on miracles, these are called nature miracles, okay? Because they're kind of going against the forces of nature and the natural life, so they're supernatural. And and what one guy who's really smart named Craig Blomberg says is he says nature miracles 
are really acted out parables. Okay, so if you like, you want to learn something today, you want to go with me? So he says it this way. He says, just as parables reveal the mysterious kingdom of God to those who hear them, nature miracles reveal the kingdom of God bursting into the world for those who see them. So if nature miracles are these acted out parables, then, then we need to really understand what water into wine is by looking at the parable that it kind of connects with. So if this is early in Jesus' ministry, it would need to be early in Jesus' ministry. So we'd have to look at, well, what's one of the earliest parables that Jesus tells? And it's found in Mark chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, maybe you want to go to Mark chapter 2, because then you can write on the side of your Bible, John 2. Link those together. See, I think that these two things, I think this Craig guy really has a point. Because in Mark chapter 2, Jesus starts talking to these people, and again, I believe it's really early on in the ministry, because verse 18 of Mark chapter 2 says, John's disciples, meaning John the Baptist, and so John the Baptist, remember, came on the scene before Jesus, so he's baptizing in the Jordan River, and he's got these disciples that are following him. He's the first guy to speak on behalf of God in 400 years, so John is a big deal huge. Like, I, I, didn't the Britney Spears concert already happen and like sold out in a, two hours or something? This is bigger than Britney, okay? John the Baptist is huge, okay? And he's got these disciples, and the religious people kind of go check out John the Baptist, and they watch what he's doing, and John points to Jesus, who just comes on the scene. So Jesus is kind of just this up-and-coming, like, um, discovery of the week on iTunes kind of thing, and John the Baptist is really in full throttle. And so, in Mark 2, verse 18, it says, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. They were going without food to show their religiousness. And some of the religious people, these Pharisees, um, they, they, were, they came and they asked Jesus, verse 18, how is it that John's disciples fast and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but yours don't fast? And Jesus says, how can the guests of the bridegroom, John chapter 2, it's a wedding. How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so as long as they have him with him, we should celebrate. But verse 20, the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. And then he says some random thing that's not random at all. Verse 20, no one sews a patch of unshrunk, unshrunk garment to an old garment, because when they wash it, that patch of of garment, that new patch will shrink and it'll make the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Remember, they don't have bottles. No, otherwise the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. So remember, there's not liquor stores. They have these big stone things that they crush grapes in, and then they put those grapes into these leather, kind of leather-ish skins, and they have to be new because what happens is when that ferments, gases emit, and this thing expands, and so these new skins stretch, and they expand, and then after the while, the wine ferments, and then it gets good, and then it kind of comes back, and, and then we've got good wine. And so that's how they make the wine. But if you put the new wine, which hasn't fermented, it's more like grape juice, into the old skins, the old skins have already stretched, you know, they're kind of brittle, it's like our, kind of like our human skin, if you like see a baby and you kind of pluck its skin, it, boom, it's great elasticity, but then, you know, if you're a little bit 
more on the other side of life. Um, I got this one from my dad, I'm sorry. And so he's grabbing my son's skin like this and it just goes right back into place and then he's like, watch this. And he grabbed his own skin and it like stayed there for an eerie two seconds. <laughs> like clay. And then it slowly came back. That's kind of old wine. These old wine skins, um, they don't stretch. Sorry about that. They don't stretch. <laughs> that wasn't in my note. This is why I stick to my note. They don't stretch. And so when, when they don't stretch... The new wine, it goes in and stretch, it bursts. And now not only are the wine skins ruined, but, but the wine is ruined. And if you're a wine drinker, that's bad. And so what, what is that? What's that about? I think the meaning of that parable is that the new wine or the new way of the kingdom of God is going to burst out of the old wine skin of these Jewish legalism and exclusivism and religiosity and rituals. And Jesus is saying, I'm doing a new thing. It's going to bust through this. So go back to verse 6 of John chapter 2. Because now, now it gets good. I know, we're almost, but now, this is, this is huge. Remember how, um, how Mike and I have talked about how the writers don't waste words, how everything is kind of important and how numbers really matter? Verse 6, nearby stood six water, stone water jars, the kind used for ceremonial washing, each holding 20 to 30 gallons, and Jesus says, fill them with water, and so they fill them to the brim. Now, this is before the miracle. The six water jars, they rep, I think they represent, six represents lacking, it represents unfinished, it represents imperfect. So the writer's saying like, and the water jars represent this ceremonial washing idea is this ritual and this religion. So what he's saying is that, that these things represent the old way. It's lacking. The religiosity is not working. And maybe you've experienced that before, because maybe you've come to church before, or maybe you've tried out God before, or you thought you've tried out God before, and it just hasn't worked. You've tried to earn your way to God, and you've tried to do all the right things, and you, know, you pull out the Ten Commandments, and every day you go, okay, I didn't do that one, I didn't, oh, I did that one, I didn't, you know, and it just, it hurts. That's what he's saying. Now, after the miracle... What does it say? He says, draw some out, take it to the master of the banquet. Verse 9, the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine, didn't realize where it had come from, but the servants did. And then I thought this was a very public miracle. It turns out it's very private. He called the bridegroom aside. So they're having like a private conversation in the midst of the festivities. And he says, no one, no one brings out good wine second. Everybody brings the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after they've all had too much to drink. But you've saved the best till now. So, so after the miracle, there's this idea of abundance. I mean, 180 gallons of wine. I don't care how many people are at that wedding, and I don't care if it's still got a, you know, four or five, six days left. That's a lot of wine. I mean, they are not running out. There's an overflow, an abundance. There's, there's this idea of, associated with the wine of feasting and of joy. And, and saving the best to last is like greatest quality, nothing better. So that's after the miracle. So if, if this is true, if this Craig guy is right, and, and nature miracles are acted out parables, and new wineskins and new wine is, is linked to this, then what is it saying? I think it's saying the water of Jewish legalism is now going to be transformed into the new wine of the kingdom of God. Now, why does that matter to you and me? 
if the water of Jewish legalism is going to be transformed into the new wine of the kingdom of God, then there's a new thing. So maybe you've been in church. Maybe you've been in religiosity and you're like, this isn't working. Yeah, Jesus said the same thing. It's not working and I'm doing a new thing. I'm transforming it. It's going to be a different, it's going to be better. It's going to burst through. You can't even contain it. I'm the new way, Jesus would say, of the kingdom of God. And it's even more than this. Remember how I talked about he wanted to not just fix our problem and our physical need, but he wants to point to a greater reality? Verse 11. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. Now, for some reason, I always read identity there. Jesus was just letting his disciples know that, hey, I'm cool enough to turn water into wine. No. Way bigger than that. His glory like his outer manifestation of who God is. Like, I think this miracle is showing a foretaste or a preview or of the power of what God is doing all throughout that he starts right then when Jesus comes on the scene saying, I'm making everything new. I'm restoring it all to better. I'm, I'm not, just, not just people, creation, everything, the relationship with God, I am in the process of fixing. I am in the process of repairing. And on the cross and through the resurrection, he, he destroys death and sin, and Satan, and we now get to be connected with God, not because we follow religiosity, not because we're, in this case, Jews, but because we say yes to Jesus. No matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, no matter where we're at, because some of us, we're still back at verse 3, they have no more wine. And Jesus is saying, where's my Father's will in this situation? And I think for every one of us, for every one of us, if you're in a spot and you've got this picture in your head of where he just couldn't, it's just not possible. Or you're in the spot of, I have no more wine. I, I have no more money. I have no more love. I have no more, I can't do it anymore. Jesus is going, where's my will? What's just your need? Because I not only want to fix your need, I want to point to the greater spirituality. I want Jesus' glory to come through. I want your life to be about feasting and joy and celebration. And I don't always feel that. And I don't know about you, but maybe you don't always feel that either. And we're not talking about being fake and bubbly. We want to be authentic people. But we're talking about this, this, this understanding that Jesus fills us and he reveals his glory to us. So, so maybe you're in a situation where you were just, you were just caught. Like when the wine ran out, this couple knew, oh no, this is not just embarrassing. This is going to bring shame on me. And maybe you're in a situation where like shame is just about to open the door and like let everybody know. And, and maybe God's already fixed that situation for you. Or maybe you need to know that God wants to fix that situation for you. But he doesn't just want to fix that situation for you and me to get us out of the shame. He doesn't just want to fix that situation for for us so that you and me can get out of the embarrassment. He wants to fix the situation so that we can find out more of his glory. So that he he can reveal something to us. 
So where are you at today? Because maybe you need a miracle today. Listen to what Jesus might tell you. Remember Mary's response? Do whatever he tells you. And I'm sure when the servants heard, see those jars over there? Fill them up. They're stone jars. 20 to 30 gallons. Okay? I can barely lift a five-gallon bucket with these pipe cleaner arms. I mean, I'm sure those servants are like, really? You want us to do that? And maybe the Spirit of God is going to ask you to do something that you're like, really? That? But Mary said, do whatever he tells you. It might be for you and I to experience a miracle that it's going to require some obedience. You know, I have a couple of people that have said like, man, I just, I just need more friends. I, like, I need to get in a community. And I'm like, we have life groups. Oh, I know, but then I have to go to someone's house and meet people and talk and we might have to read the Bible or pray. I'm just saying it might require a little obedience. And that's not for you, that's for us. That's for me too. Maybe you need a miracle and you're in the waiting period. We need to trust Jesus for the solution. When Jesus said, dear woman, why does this concern you and me? What is it to me? What do we have in common? She didn't go, Okay, Jesus isn't going to help us, so, all right, who's going to run to Costco and get the 200-gallon, and we got to fix this situation? Because a lot of us like to do that. We have access, even, even, even people that are broke, we have access to money. We have access to resources, even if it's going to bite us in the behind knee later. Um, and we, when we wait for God, like, some of us, for a nanosecond, and then try and fix the situation. And we don't look for Jesus in the solution. And so we can't see the miracle because we didn't wait long enough for Jesus to provide the miracle. Now, I'm not just saying we sit around and we pray and we like wait and wait and wait and opportunities come and we're like, no, I'm waiting for Jesus. Sometimes Jesus comes through strange opportunities. But what I am saying is we need to look for Jesus in those solutions and trust that he'll come. We can't lose hope. It would have been very easy to lose hope in this situation. And, and they didn't. God's best came. That, that last line of, oh my gosh, you've saved the best till last? Maybe you need to hang on to that today. Maybe you're in a situation where you're like, I'm, that's all I can grip to. That, that the best will come. And it hasn't come yet, but it will come. It will. Not just to fix our problem, remember, to point us to the greater spiritual reality. Because really, I, I'm going to give you something shocking. Life isn't just all about me. Life isn't just all about us. God desperately wants us to understand and know Him and know His glory then we can grow in our confidence of who God is. We can, we can grow through, in spite of those difficulties, we can grow in our confidence that God's still at work, that he's still doing something. And that, my friends, is a miracle. 
my friend who I said went through um, that I was at the reception with. And she says, I'm thinking about leaving my husband. And she tells her friend who's like been a dear friend who she's prayed for for years and years and years and years and never, ever gotten anywhere with an understanding of who God is. She is venting, because she's an appropriate friend to vent to. She doesn't gossip. She doesn't take, look at her, at this person's husband any different. She's telling the story about how she read this thing, there was a switch, and she's like, God just changed me. It's not an option anymore. And that, for this friend, was it. All of a sudden, the next week, she's, she said, you should come up. Let's talk. Hey, where do you want to go to church? I mean, the lady fell on the floor. What do you mean? She's like, uh, we got to go to church. We'll go to church anywhere. You know, I was raised Catholic, and I haven't been back to the Catholic church when I got confirmed, but if you want to go to the Catholic church, we'll go to the Catholic You want to go to some Protestant church and we, learn weird things? We can go there. We'll go anywhere. She's like, what happened? And her friend looked at her, who she's prayed for for years and years and years. And she said, if God can do a miracle in your heart, to turn your heart around, because I know you were about to leave him, then he must be real and he must do miracles. Hang on to that today. If, if you um, need, you're just so desperate for a miracle, I don't, I don't claim to work miracles, but I claim to work for a guy who claims to work for miracles. Um, we'll be right in that fun entryway right there. And we're going to go into a time of celebration. And if you want to come back and pray with me, we're doing our meet and greet at the end. We'll tell more about that. But, but we need to celebrate this God who, who, who loves us and wants not just for us to know him, for us to reveal his glory. So I'm going to invite the band to come back up and we're going to sing about who Jesus is and what he's done. So let's pray. God, forgive us when we say it's just not possible. It's just not possible for you to dot, dot, dot. God, we don't claim to know everything, but we do claim that you know everything and that you are the one who still works miracles. And God, I pray for those that are so desperate to see a miracle in their life that they would, that they would run to you, that they'd wait on you, that they trust you for the solution and that they know you'll bring your best. So now, let our hearts take in what our ears have heard. Let our soul rummage that around. Let it stick with us, God, so that we can celebrate who you are in this time. In Jesus' name.